going to jump in. I'm going to pray because this is a this is an, a, a sermon about the nightmare of self, the nightmare of self, which is my nightmare. I pray that it would be yours after this, that you would learn from the lessons of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, but more important, see the rescue that's available in Jesus. So join me in prayer as we open up to Daniel chapter 4. Father in heaven, Lord, this is the type of message that um, I, I don't want to necessarily hear or preach because it applies so deeply to parts of my heart where selfishness creeps in like a poison, where self-centeredness takes over any vision that I would have of seeing you lifted up. How easy it is, God, as times get easy, to take our focus off of you and to put our focus on the daily things. Let it be, Lord, that we would be a church family that is Bible-saturated, Jesus-obsessed, spirit-filled, Lord, for those who are here today who, who maybe were walk, watching others around them sing songs and, and now they're listening to some guy talk from an old book on an iPad and, and they're wondering, what is this about? God, I pray that your gospel, your good news of what you've done for weary, broken people would shine through it all. That this wouldn't just be a self-help quest, that we would understand that it is a gift, that you give us a gift of love and forgiveness and grace that we could not earn a, percent of on our own. Lord, let all the glory be yours this morning. Let us enjoy one another as an oikos, as a family, as a tribe, as we eat and pray together during service, after service, in the parking lot, as we make new friends and family members for life, and as we make disciples, new people to learn and follow and be part of a tribe. In Jesus' name, amen. Nebuchadnezzar, 600 BC, 600 years before Jesus, kidnapped a bunch of people. Daniel was one of them. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then they went through these miracles in the first few chapters of the book of Daniel seem to be showing us Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar says, says, I have this dream. Daniel says, here's what it meant. Nebuchadnezzar's like, okay, I won't kill you. And then Nebuchadnezzar says, bow down to my statue. If you don't, I'm going to kill you. No one bows down. They get saved by God. And each time Nebuchadnezzar says, your God is the best God, what was I thinking? And this one is no different. The very unique thing about this chapter in the Bible is that you may not know this, because we say in like, this is just for the Bible nerds. How many, how many books of the Bible are there? Quick. 66, written by about how many authors? I'm not looking at you, Jesse. I'm looking at you, Jesse. 66 books of the Bible, written by about 40 authors. I'll bet you, you didn't know something. Nebuchadnezzar is one of the authors in the Bible. Did you guys know that? Charlie, did you know that? You've been a pastor for like 100 years. Did you know that? Nebuchadnezzar is one of the authors. This chapter in the Bible is written by Nebuchadnezzar. Now, instantly, Charlie's nodding. Jesse's going down. He's like, what? What? I did not know. You didn't know, did you? I just taught you something. You're welcome. We're all done. Let's go eat pork. No, I'm just, I'm just one. It's very interesting to me because we think of people God would have chosen to write a book of the Bible. They must be at least halfway decent people. I need to remind you that there are no halfway decent people in the Bible except for one. It's not a book of heroes. It's a book of one hero. All of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets were to point us to the fact that we need to be saved. 
And that's what's happening today is that we're seeing Nebuchadnezzar's response to all of these miracles. But then he has a while. This is coming to the end of his experience as the leader of Babylon. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 1. It's not going to be on the screen. Follow along in your paper Bibles, your e-Bibles, wherever it's going to be. And that's my fault. That's on me that it's not on the screen. I was busy out there getting fed by a tech director. And I was like, I, I should go put the verses in. And then I thought, but there's so much meat out here. So if, if you don't have a Bible app, download it now. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders the most high God has done for me. This is a king of Babylon talking, an enemy of God's people who kidnapped God's people. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Everyone say, at ease in my house, prospering in my palace. You know when people come back to church, do you think it's in the good times or the hard times? Hard times. When everything's going easy, it's like, eh, hey, things are going easy. I don't really need to go to church. As soon as something difficult happens in your life, guess where people tend to run, especially if you grew up in some kind of church or religion. You're like, I need, I need God to do something. Nebuchadnezzar's saying, I was, I was at ease in my palace, just hanging out, looking over the balconies, enjoying the birds, enjoying the view. And sometimes what God does to get our attentions is he gives us a gift, a gift that pulls at us and makes us ask a question. So I have this working theory that, that nobody really reads the Bible or grows spiritually except if there's a need-to-know or need-to-grow basis. That's just how humans are. It's, it's the rare person that will be growing and hungering and reading just for the fun of it. There's a few of you out there, but for the most part, you learn something when you need to learn it. And you're not just going out questing for knowledge. The average human does not read a book after they complete school. Not a book. From the time they finish school, college, high school, whatever school you finish, and then the rest of your life, the average person just won't even read a, an entire book for the rest of their life. I get it. Videos are so much easier. It's easier to watch a show than to read. Our brains are being, are being unraveled in our ability to even comprehend uh, the written word and literature. So why would we learn something? Well, it's, you learn something when a difficult situation is placed in front of you, and that's what is about to happen to Nebuchadnezzar because he was having it easy. And I, I see it over and over and over again about people whose lives are easy, and they, they just drift slowly away from the Lord, not from church specifically, but they, they just don't think about God because they don't need the help because they think they have things under control. As Eric was sharing about children's ministry, I couldn't help but to think about all the years that I was a youth pastor and the number of families who would come into these churches and say, here's my teenager. And essentially the message was, fix them. And, and I was like 22 years old. You want me to fix a teenager that you destroyed for 15 years. How long do I have? Just make them a better person. Their grades are bad, they're terrible, they're getting into all sorts of stuff. And the number of times that I had to tell parents, I can't fix your kid, was astonishing to me. I can't help your kid get over this thing. Well, aren't you a youth pastor? Isn't that your job? My job is to point people to Jesus. My job is to say, all of these things that are broken in your life, there's someone that still loves you. There's someone that's still there for you. There's someone that will forgive you, turn to him, repent, and believe in him. 
all your, all your sin is forgiven. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar is going to face today because he's at peace. But it's going to be brought into a place of turmoil. Some of you right now need to figure out how to follow God. In your own heart, you're thinking, there's so much wrong in my life. My marriage is this. My job is that. My friends at school say this about me. I've got no friends at school. What's going to happen? I've got no money. You have all these issues in your life. And you're saying, God, I just need your help to get through it. And what I want to tell you is that right now, perhaps the thing that you're going through is the exact thing that God has allowed to come into your life to give you and make you the type of person that he wants you to be. Because he gives Nebuchadnezzar a dream, and it made him afraid. I like how Nebuchadnezzar writes. He writes very different from Daniel. Verse 5 says, I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and visions of my head alarmed me. It's like sugar plums, fairies dancing in your head. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me, that they might tell me the interpretation of the dream. And he goes on to explain the dream in verse 13. He saw in the visions of his head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, come down, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts of the field flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Because here's, here's the crazy thing about Nebuchadnezzar. He was powerful and his his dreams were always grandiose. He was the gold head on a statue. Now his dream is that he has this dream of a giant tree that covers the world. But then in this dream, as he's the tree, Daniel says, you're the tree. You provide food. You provide security for all of these people. But in the dream, someone came from heaven, chopped it down to the stump. And Daniel goes on to say, this is you, Nebuchadnezzar. This is, this is you. You're going to get chopped down. Verse 18 says this, the dream, this dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, Daniel, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men in my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Verse 19, it says Daniel was dismayed. Have you ever had a friend say, hey, tell, if you see something that's wrong with me, can you tell me? Like, would you point it out? Or have you ever had that thing that you see in a friend? Let's call it a friend or a spouse or an in-law or a coworker, And you see something that they're doing. And you want to tell them, but you just don't. Because you're like, I, I don't need this. I don't want to stir this up. It'll be so hard to confront them, to tell them what's going on. We have this at Band of Brothers somewhat regularly. I love seeing it. I love watching it. Sometimes I throw a little a little softball in the air just so that I can see grown men bicker with each other. Say, so, hey, try this one out. Eric, yesterday, and, and me and a couple other guys, we were studying the word hate. And yesterday, didn't it feel like, Eric, there were too many uh, chiefs in the teepee? We were all trying to talk over each other? Because this is what happened. One guy talked. And then do you guys know how women, have you seen men argue when no women are around? Have you guys seen what it's like? Yeah, have you seen it? So you haven't seen it. Like in a video. Here's what it's like. Have you seen gorillas in a National Geographic documentary? Like gorillas fighting? Or like a bull moose fighting another bull moose? There's not a lot of reasoning going on. You just try to get bigger and louder. And you know, they ban man spreading in uh, New York City on the subways. 
yesterday at Band of Brothers. Like as men start to fight, you literally see, and it's like it must be biological, because you see the ones that are fighting just like, and then at one point I saw Eric not put his hand here, but do the hand like on the inside of the thigh, and then and then Charlie talked, and then I talked, and then we're just like. But hate says this, but in my dictionary it says this, but in the latter century of the Celtic religion of priests and nuns it says this. And we just kept talking. And the volume goes up, and the volume goes up. You guys, I know you all have someone that fights like this in life, right? The volume up. Oh, I'm losing the fight, so what do I do? Volume up. My wife's making more sense. What do I do? Volume up. See, it's, it's interesting how people fight differently how some people are scared to fight, some people jump into the fight, but most of us, I think, are like Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar said, I need to know the interpretation, and Daniel got the interpretation, says, I don't want this conflict. And Nebuchadnezzar says, I need you to tell me what it means. I have so much conflict within me, what you're going to say can't possibly be worse. This is a person who doesn't have the Holy Spirit of God. This is a person who is not a Jewish person, and he's saying, help me understand what God wants for me. So often in Christianity, when, when you tell somebody, hey, I see this in your life, it does not go well. You can try to confront my sins. I'm a little bit better by the grace of God than I was like a year ago, and five years ago, and 10 years ago. But early on in Christianity, especially the first 10, 15 years, if you told me you saw a sin in my life, do you think I was like, thank you for that? I appreciate your insight into my failures as a human. Now I will go promptly pray and change my ways in Jesus' name. Do you think that's what it was like? Let me put it in a different. When your spouse comes up to you and says, why are you doing that? Do you get, oh, I'm so sorry. You are so right. I will go home and change my ways. Or do you get defensive? Is anyone here a wall builder? Just me. I'm the only wall builder here? Okay. You're a wall builder? Okay, I'm just going to talk to you, Jake. No one else is here. So Jake and I, when we're getting in arguments with people, is it like this? They accuse you of something, and we go like this. Wall build. And then if they try to lob a grenade over, you're like, not today, grenade. And then you, because they attacked you with a missile, you attack them with a missile. You're going to word bomb me. I'm going to word bomb you. I'm so glad that we, you and I are here today. It's amazing that this happens, you see that two people would be finally finding a path and how to navigate this. Here's the answer. We don't know how to navigate it still, right? It's an automated response. At least for me. I'm not going to speak for you. Renee, is it an automated response for him? It's an automated response for you. My wife's not here. I'm free as a bird today. How is it that we as Christians can't just accept difficult words? Maybe it's a human thing. And I'm not saying from everybody. I don't want 93 E comments today saying, you're a jerk. You're a terrible pastor. I, I wouldn't mind one or two of those just to read and I frame them. But, um, but what if we had two or three people, maybe four or five people, an oikos that we could pour into? The people that are there on the good days and the bad days. The people that will tell you the hard news that you need to hear and the good news that you want to hear. How hard would it be just to let more than one person in and say, I, I trust you enough to not 
emotionally destroy me. I want to grow in my relationship with God, so I'm going to let you in deep. So what I tell couples when they're getting married on your wedding day, and I've said this before, you take a gun, a spiritually loaded gun, and you turn it on your heart, and you put their finger on the trigger, and there's a gun on their heart, and they put your finger on their trigger. And when you say, I do, you're saying, I, I believe that you won't shoot me in the heart and shatter me emotionally and relationally. That's what marriage is. It's not just this walking around on the daisies. It's saying, please don't destroy me. And I trust that you won't. I have faith that you won't. That's what it takes to have this sort of boldness that Nebuchadnezzar had with Daniel. He says, Daniel, don't be scared. Tell me. And Daniel tells him the dream. You're going to get chopped down. God's going to turn you into an animal for seven years. You're going to eat grass. Things are going to grow out of you. It's going to be nasty. And then at the end of seven years, it's going to be all good. Seven years. I don't know how they became like these kind of buddy chums somewhere along the way. But in Belteshazzar, in uh, Nebuchadnezzar's chapter, it's like he's friends with Daniel, Belteshazzar. But then Daniel says something, and I want us to focus on this in the very end. Because Daniel didn't want to tell the king. Daniel didn't want to go into this conversation. Daniel knew that he had something to say. And Daniel wants Nebuchadnezzar to be rescued. So in his response, he says in verse 27, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Here's Daniel's counsel to Nebuchadnezzar, the statue builder, Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler, Nebuchadnezzar, who's killed people on account of not being worshipped enough by them. Here's my counsel to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. That's just him saying, stop it. That's an easy way to... I mean, if I, if I could have another church where I could use guilt and shame, this is a good verse. Or I could say, Christians, you're sinning completely too much. And I need you to stop sinning so that you may continue to prosper. We all know and maybe have heard some of these verses. I just want to read a few of them. If my people call me by my name, who call me by my name, if they turn to me, then I will forgive them and heal their lands. See, there's this notion, and this comes from um, not understanding and doing the wrong thing too many times. I need to do a basketball illustration. Okay, basketball. Is basketball a sport that enough people know? Okay. So there's a kid. Was, this is not my son, for once, um, any of them. There's a kid who was shooting with two hands with the basketball, just two-hand shooting. And, uh, and I used to coach basketball many, many years ago. And, he, and I told him, um, I said, hey, glad you wanted to play basketball. Um, let's work on your shot. And the kid and his dad said, well, we've been practicing all summer. We've been practicing and practicing and practicing. The problem is, is that they were practicing the wrong thing. See, the kid was practicing a shot with two hands at the same time. In basketball, you don't do that. You have one guide hand and one hand that makes the shot. That's how it goes. Now, they were practicing shooting over and over and over and over again, but they were practicing the wrong thing. Are you tracking? So when like, people say stupid things, like practice makes... Perfect? So dumb. No, no, that's, that, that's not true. Because if you practice the wrong thing over and over and over again, you just get l more and more ingrained in stupidity. 
And one of the deep fears that I have in Christianity is that we've practiced something so many times. We've been making these two-handed shots or shooting with two hands so many times. We can't even get out of the bad habit because the habit that some of you are craving right now is for me to tell you how to get out of sin, for me to tell you what it looks like to stop sinning. You can Google how to stop sinning. Why do I keep sinning? And you'll see article after article after article after article. Daniel is telling him, King, I don't want you to have to nibble off the dirt. So stop doing what you're doing. Practice righteousness. Stop in your iniquity and sh by showing mercy. Now what we've done in Christianity is that we've practiced wrong. We, we look at the Bible and because it's so big and so crazy and so, uh, and so confusing and there's so many different types of stories and literature. We didn't even know Nebuchadnezzar was an author. We practice reading the Bible wrong. You think that it's just one book. It's not one book. It's 60 six separate pieces of literature written by different people at different times but here's the one thing i need you to clue into for today the old testament is very different from the new testament not because it seems that god went from angry to like happy go lucky lovey jesus because he was very loving in the old testament very patient if my children spit in my face for a thousand years i would not be happy with them but what happens in the old testament is that they don't have christ in them they don't have the availability of the Holy Spirit to change them. And what happened in the Old Testament is that we got the law. And the law says, I want you to see how good God is and how much you fall short. And as Christians, we've been practicing this for too long. We take the law and we say, I must, this is the law. If I don't reach this, then I'm not a good Christian. My own kid doesn't like my sermon. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to not like that one, I'll tell you what. If you need an accountability partner who will tell you whatever you need to hear, be friends with him. He'll tell you whatever you need to hear. I could tell you that the law is for you to figure out how to do life better, and, and the law has uses. The primary use of the law is to show you how good God is and how much you and I are train wrecks. And then one of the purposes of the law is to restrain evil from this world, like those road barriers. One of the purposes of the law is not to make you feel better about yourself, although we've been practicing this as Christians for so long, shooting the wrong way. We think if I follow the law, then I must be more loved by God. I cannot drill this into your head enough. God loves you purely on the basis of you being under the covering of Christ. There is nothing that you do where God's love is going to be like, oh, no, I can't love you that much today because you did this, this, and that. If you're in Christ, if your faith is in Jesus, that he died for you, forgives you, loves you, embraces you, adopts you, nothing that you do or don't do. Now, this is where people get mad at me. They say, well, then I'm just going to go sin. And this is where I reply the same thing every time. You're already sinning. We just, in Christianity, we've, we've done that two-handed shot where we learn how to hide the sins that other people don't like. And the sins that are okay, we let those ones go on unchecked forever. Like right now, I've been watching a bunch of gluttons. Just gluttonizing. Like it, yeah, just watching. I haven't been gluttonizing yet. But here's the thing. You'll hear sermons on sexuality, sex before marriage, homosexuality, pornography addiction, alcohol addiction, dancing, I don't know, uh, a bunch of other things. And you will not hear sermons on gluttony. 
It's ever. And I've said this so many times and people say, really? I've never, you've never heard of one? You could search for them and find them, maybe. You know why pastors don't want to preach about gluttony? Because we like free food. Because then we can't have piggy party days. Because what would it be like if a pastor actually preached on all the topics that were in the Bible? It would be like this. The law says, don't be a person that lusts after a woman or a man in your heart. Don't be a person that's filled and calls their brother fool, filled with anger and rage. Don't be a person who goes to church when you have issues with somebody during the week. See, the law was meant to set a bar so high that we all would know that we failed. But what we've done is we've shot with two hands for so long thinking that we can reach it. Now, it's not bad to try and do amazing and good things, but the moment we depend on them, the moment we think, like in the Old Testament, when they did something well, then God would give them a physical prosperity, physical blessing, because there was no spiritual kingdom that had come to earth yet. So the physical blessing was God showing people with a, with a physical illustration. This is what it's like. If you follow me, things go better. In the New Testament, we have Christ, so we're not bound to these Old Testament ways. I know some of you wish that it would be that way, that if you just did great things, God would just flood your bank account with money. But we get something better. We get access to the God who floods us with all life, all riches, all abundance for eternity, not for just this little 60-year period. And we can't get over this because we've been shooting with two hands. We don't realize that in the Old Testament, God did things differently. You want to know what God told his pastors to do in the Old Testament, the prophet people? He said, Ezekiel, I need to teach my people a lesson. You're going to cook all of your food over poop, literally poop, in the Bible. I would not want this job if that's what the job description said. You know what he said to Isaiah? Isaiah, I need you to teach my people a lesson with a physical illustration. Isaiah, I need you to lie on your side naked for years so that people will learn something about me. If that was my job description, none of you would be part of this church. God did things differently in different periods of history, but because we haven't gotten into the Bible enough as a church people, not us, but like capital C church, we don't realize the flow of history. We don't understand why God said don't touch things that are bleeding or to things that are dead. We don't understand why in the Old Testament it says if you do this then God heals your land and we're here, we're trying to call down Old Testament God. Say God we're here, we're turning back to you, heal our land. God is up in heaven saying you know all this kingdom stuff you're trying to do down there? My son came and he started a new one. It was the rock that shattered Babylon's statue, and it's been growing to a mountain. We're not doing this thing anymore where I have to show you with these weird illustrations. We're doing this thing now where I can come into your life and say, I'm here. I forgive you. I love you. I have everything waiting for you in the storehouses of heaven. Don't fret about the little things that go on here because you get all of me now and forever. See, we're so stuck in this Daniel mentality because we love these verses. You know, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain life. We love these verses, but we don't like the ones that are nebulous. We love the ones that say, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. That's in Samuel 2.30. Can you imagine... If God actually only honored people who fully honored him, how many people will fully honor God every day, every moment? Not one that I've ever met. 
See, in the Old Testament, they didn't even have what we have, the conviction now, the Jiminy Cricket, the Holy Spirit that says, you are so messed up. You, Ryan, are a defensive wall builder. You, Ryan, are a prideful thinking sucker. You, Ryan, are a glutton whenever you're put in front of a buffet of delicious meat treats. You, Ryan, have such little self-control when somebody candies pork belly with, with peach something and sriracha something and brown sugar cocaine. Those arrived when you were not here yet. Yeah, they're back there right now. They're little squares of heaven and joy. You, you know what we don't want as Christians? To understand this, that the law is a schoolmaster, Galatians tells us. The law says, here's what you need to learn so that you can get to Jesus. What we need to learn as Christians is when Jesus was asked, what must we do to do the works of God? Jesus says, this is the work of God. He was asked, point blank, what does it mean to do the works of God, Jesus? And Jesus, who is God in the flesh, gives us the answer that we don't want to accept. This is the work of God, that you believe in whom he sent. Is there a part B, Jesus? Do I hear feeding the poor for 500? Do I hear caring for the orphans for 200? Are those bad things? No. But the work of God, the thing that we do to be made right with God is to say, Jesus, I believe that you died, that you lived, that you love me, even though I keep failing. This is what we have. Because if you read the Bible from cover to cover, you get two things in life. First, you get me and Edwin and Jesse taking you to Wayback Burger. Yes. He's not here today. Is he here today? Oh, he's right there. At the end of youth group this summer, Edwin looked at the kids. He said, okay, kids, you're going to be doing all these things all summer. I want you to do something for me. Read the Bible for, what was it, 10 minutes a day? 10 minutes a day. And I was like grumpy pastoring. 10 minutes a day? I'm about to watch my teenager play Fortnite for 17 hours a day. So I looked at him. I was like, not 10 minutes. I went full legalistic. I looked at him, and I said, how long does it take to read the Bible? And they all guessed. And Ben just guessed right. 56 hours. And I was like, nerd alert. Love him. And I said, why don't you guys just read the Bible or put the Bible on audio and finish the whole Bible this summer? What am I going to do? 56 hours, cover to cover, if you do the audio Bible that's free in the app. Guess who did it? Ben Boston. Don't clap for him, because then it'll lead to pride. No, you guys, you're making Ben sin. Ben, don't let it go to your head. I know that you fell asleep during some of those chapters in Leviticus. I'm sure of it because I do the same thing. Ben, I need you to know that from Genesis to Malachi, it's God's law saying, you're screwed up, you're screwed up, you're screwed up. And you see these weird stories like if you touch the box, they die. You see these weird stories about someone who raised someone from the dead. You see these weird stories about a prophet who was bald and some kids make fun of his bald head and then he has bears eat them. And you're like, why would God do that? You read the crazy stories that my wife doesn't like where God says, go over here, my people, and kill every man, woman, child, donkey, and lemur in this land. And you read all these stories, you think, how could this be the same God? Because then Jesus comes along and he's like, hee hoo And you're like, this just makes sense. Here's the thing, Ben. From Genesis to Malachi, it's the law and the prophets and the stories and the poems to get you to see God is so much bigger, so much better. And we are garbaggio. Ah, no, stop, 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 stop. That's why Isaiah says, even your righteous works, your good deeds are like filthy rags before me. Reading the Bible in a summer before God, Ben, even that, because you're going to be thinking, I read the Bible. And none of my 
soccer punk friends did, I am the greatest man-child in youth group. You might think that, because I thought that about you, and here's my response. Even the good things we do are tainted with bad things, which is why we need Christ to come in and not only die for all the terrible things that we've done, but for all the good things we've done with terrible motives. And this is the difference. It goes down to this. What do you love and what do you order? See, seek first the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's my father-in-law's life verse. It's not about doing things so that God will love you. It's about you are loved, so now you can do things without the pressure of trying to earn his love. So you get the order correct. I was laughing at myself yesterday for my own husband's stupidity. Uh, my father and I was telling me the story, and I love hearing about their romance. They're in so much love right now, they put their grandchild between them. And, uh, and he said, I'm, I remember telling Melody, like, the order is God first, but then you're like a close second. And I, I laughed out loud yesterday in Band of Brothers. I was like, <laughs> and uh, because I had the exact same conversation with my wife, but I was 10 times less smooth. Because my wife was complaining early on in marriage, like, you're reading too much. You're always carrying your Bible around. Boo-hoo-hoo-hoo. And I said, look, God is first in my life. And you are like a way distant second. <laughs> that's why there's a gap between when I had my first kid and my second kid, you see? Just, that's why. You're way distant second. And she was like trying to be like, do I love him because he loves the Lord? Or do I hate him because that's just mean? I'll let you decide how that choose your own adventure went. Not well. <laughs> See, the Bible, we want to make it about us. When we work against the grain of the story of God, when we shoot with two hands for too long, we don't even know how to read the Bible anymore. We don't know how to get into it. We don't know how to understand how Daniel differs from Matthew. And I want you guys to understand this, to learn this, to process this. So the way to stop sinning, I'm just going to tell you right now, is not to add more rules. The law came to bring death. If you add more rules to your life, you'll break them. I, I guarantee it. If you want to try it, try it. Give it a go. God knew this. In fact, he gave us the law so that we would be aware of our sin and turn to him. We've done the exact opposite. We've taken the law and we've done exactly what the Pharisees have done. We've tried to measure up to all of the minutia detail, but we've missed the heart of the law almost entirely. The law is good. It is a reflection of God's good nature and his perfection. But it was given to us, not for our salvation. It was given to us so that Christ could come and fulfill the law in us that we could not fulfill on our own. So here's what you do. You throw yourself in the mercies of God. i got to get us out of here because Jesus Church people are here and they're going to be eating our pork. Don't turn to yourself. Don't let Christianity be a self-help project, a behavior change project. Don't read a verse like this one in Daniel and say, yes, see, I must go, therefore, and in my own might, earn my prosperity and love from God. What is the work of God, Jesus? Believe in the one whom he has sent. Amen and amen.